What is the secret to a great movement of God? I've been inspired over the last few months by a movie that Brian has mentioned several times called The Jesus Revolution. This is a story of the Jesus movement in the early 70s, which began when thousands of hippies came to Christ and were baptized in the Pacific Ocean. Take a look at this trailer. Hey, Square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? The mountain is high. Oh, we're doing these people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. What they need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. His house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. Probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. Country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. I've seen the movie a couple of times already, and I love it for two reasons. First, it's incredibly inspiring to see so many young adults coming to a relationship with Jesus after searching in all of the wrong places fighting police and angry protest against the Vietnam War, disillusioned with the established order, experimenting with drugs, checking out, anything to fill the emptiness they felt. <laughs> Remember the songs of the 70s? Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. And then, just as many hit rock bottom, they found hope and truth in the love of Jesus. So many were coming to Christ in this church, Calvary Chapel, that they had to put up this huge tent and they had to baptize in the Pacific. Well, I also love this movie because this is when my wife of 35 years, Dory, met Jesus. And she was baptized in the Pacific as well. And she brought her sister and then her brother and eventually her mother, nieces, and nephews, just about her entire family. 
She told me that uh, one of her sisters that was baptized right before she was baptized just threw a weed in the, in the ocean. So what was the secret to this great movement of God's Spirit? It wasn't in the great planning or organizing or marketing because there was none. So what was it? And will God ever move like this again? Will people in our nation ever stop being angry, disillusioned, bent on destroying each other? Well, this morning we're going to discover the secret to a movement of God. And it boils down to one simple sentence that Jesus uttered. Would you like to hear that sentence? Well, you'll have to wait till later in the service, so pay attention. So let's go back and start with the mission of Jesus. What was Jesus' mission, his purpose? We will discover this mission on a Sabbath day in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. These Sabbath services usually included a beginning prayer, a reading from the law, and then a reading from the prophets with a sermon delivered afterwards. This particular Sabbath, Jesus, the local boy, was asked to read the prophets. The scroll that was handed to him was Isaiah. He opened to the passage Isaiah 61. Here's how Luke tells the story. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this scripture would have been a familiar one to his congregation, a messianic prediction uh, that they had been longing for uh, for 2,000 years, they wanted to see the Messiah come, anointed by God's Spirit, to bring the good news of freedom and release from their Roman oppression. That Jesus was reading this particular passage would have thrilled them, had them on the edge of their seats. Have you ever been on the edge of your seat waiting for news? Maybe you were at the hospital waiting for the doctor to come out. Maybe you're a high school junior waiting for that email from your top school. Maybe you are a nation like England in 1940 waiting to hear the voice of Churchill on the radio. <laughs> well, I remember waiting on the edge of my seat once 
it was when I proposed to Dory. Actually, I was not sitting down. I was on my knees. I proposed beautifully, and I waited for her answer. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. Let's just say that I had to propose again a little time later. But she did say yes. Back to our scene. Jesus has just read this messianic prophecy about bringing good news of freedom and release. And the congregation was on the edge of their seats. But then they were shocked at the opening line of Jesus' sermon. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was the mission that Jesus was claiming that he was now fulfilling? Well, I see at least three things that Jesus is claiming as his anointed mission. First, he is anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. This good news is that God cares for the poor. And who were the poor? Jesus, throughout the rest of his ministry, makes clear that the poor are those humble enough to recognize their need of help, their dependency, their, their lack of control. The hippies in the Jesus movement, they, they recognized their poverty, that the ways they were trying to find fulfillment were not working. Escapism, drugs, sex, personal enlightenment, all created broken relationships with God, with one another and themselves. And don't we feel that longing and brokenness today? Second, Jesus was anointed with compassion for the sick and brokenhearted. Jesus' mission included caring for people who were sick and hurting, to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus came to care for those with physical and emotional needs. He went on to live out this mission by healing the blind, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, making the paralyzed walk, and raising the dead. All in all, I count 35 miracles of physical healing recorded in the Gospels. And there were probably more, since the Gospel writers often say that Jesus healed everyone from that town that came to him. What would it look like in our world if more people had compassion for the sick and brokenhearted? I often think when I'm when I've been in an emergency room, how impactful it would be if a Christian were there sitting with those who are hurt or worried or waiting. What would it be like if Jesus were in that emergency room? Third, Jesus claimed a commitment to justice, to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, release for the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus repeatedly showed concern for vulnerable and hurting people, those who were in distress, those who were captive both spiritually and physically, the marginalized or forgotten in society. Jesus here was proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This was a reference to the year of Jubilee that was to happen every seven years. It's referred to in Isaiah 58, where all debts were canceled and slaves were just set free. 
It was God's plan for protecting the rich from getting richer and the poor remaining poor. Jesus cared about the poor and suffering, and he was committed to bringing justice, to create systems that are fair for all. Martin Luther King Jr., commenting on Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan, said, On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside. But one day, we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed. See, Jesus' mission is not only to care for the person who has been beaten up and in the ditch. He is also calling us to dismantle and create systems that help people from getting beaten up in the first place. Bankers working to help low-income families get a housing loan. Students creating no-bully zones. All of us voting for officials who support the civil rights of all people whether we agree with them or not. We may not be responsible for what is broken, but we can be a part of what puts it back together. One observation is important to make here. Jesus is concerned with and has compassion towards the whole person. He's not simply bringing good news for people's souls, but to their whole being. He's concerned about people's spiritual, social, and physical dimensions of life. The whole gospel for the whole person to the whole world. Well, I would like to make a personal confession at this point. Um, as some of you may know, I have a relatively strong passion for evangelism to see people come to a saving relationship with Christ, to see their sins forgiven and lives restored. But not until more recently have I realized that I've had a hole in the good news that I've proclaimed. In recent years, as I've read and reread the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, I've begun to see that Jesus cares not only about people's souls, but about their physical and social needs as well. And that I'm to go beyond just proclaiming the good news, but to be about the work of loosening the chains of injustice and helping to set the oppressed free as well. This journey towards Jesus' mission of proclaiming the whole gospel began as I read a book by Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, called The Hole in the Gospel. In this book, Richard talks about his own blindness to the passages in Scripture that refer to poverty and justice. Over 2,000 verses. He shares the example of Jim Wallace, who would hold up a Bible, which had these verses cut out of it, and as a tattered Bible dangled in his hand, he would say, this Bible is full of holes. As I began to be convicted of this new realization, I was surprised that I did not feel guilt, but instead felt freedom, freedom to pursue God's heart. I'm not saying it's always easy, comfortable, or clear, 
This work of justice, biblical justice, is often complicated, hard, and messy. But it does feel that this work matters a great deal to God. So what is Jesus' mission? The mission of Jesus was to proclaim the good news to the poor, show compassion for the sick, and demonstrate a commitment to justice. This is what we call here at Grace Chapel community engagement. Well, we've got the what, but what about the how? How did Jesus accomplish this mission, this community engagement? And how did this mission lead to a world-changing movement of God? A movement that has now led to thousands of hippies to come to faith, as well as over two billion others on this planet, a good one-third of the world's population. What was the secret? And how are we supposed to accomplish this mission? Well, finally, we can get to that one sentence that Jesus uttered that sparked this world-changing movement. It's the simple statement that he made in John 13. Jesus says, A new commandment I give you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. A new commandment I give you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is the spark that calls this great movement of God. It's so simple and yet so profound. Starting with his disciples simply loving others as they had been loved by Jesus. Think about how Matthew would have heard these words. He he would have uh, gone out and found tax collectors and sinners like himself, those who didn't feel worthy, and he would show them that he didn't judge them either. Peter would find folks to forgive as he had been forgiven for denying Jesus. Think about the man possessed by a hundred demons He would identify with those who felt trapped and in bondage and work to free them. And the blind man would love those who were blind and felt invisible. Love like this started the first great movement of God. And it was because these who had been loved by Jesus just turned around and started loving those around them as they had been loved. Jesus' disciples were fulfilling the mission of Jesus by loving these that Jesus loved, the hurting, the poor, the sick, the outcast, and those entangled by injustice, just as he had loved them. Steve Corbett, who wrote the book, When Helping Hurts, says, the early church's explosive success was due to the engagement with suffering people. So how do we continue this great movement of God, this mission of Jesus, this community engagement? We fulfill the mission of Jesus when we love others as he has loved us. (laughs) I've been so reinvigorated as a pastor with this new role uh, that I'm in, pastor of community engagement. One of the greatest inspirations is just seeing how many folks from Grace Chapel are 
out there loving those in their communities with the love of Jesus. Let me give you just a couple examples. Dina. <laughs> Dina approached me in the lobby about a year ago. Um, I, I had been talking about the need to help 10 Afghan families get resettled. One of the biggest needs was for furniture since these families left everything but the clothes on their back to flee the Taliban. Dina told me that she owned a staging company. That's this company that sets up furnitures, furniture and homes before they go on the market. And she wondered if she could help. Before long, Dina was taking donated furniture from Grace Chapel folks and helping to set up apartments for families. I found out later that she completely furnished several apartments on her own dime. One of our men's groups learned that the Boston Project House in Dorchester had some decaying decks and stairs in the back of their building. Uh, they asked how they could help, and the Boston Project team told them, just have at it. And they did. Look at this demolition. They destroyed it. And now, take a look at what it looks like now. Tony. Tony has experienced a true transformation by the love of Jesus. And her life has been changed. And now that love that she has experienced has inspired her to invite six of her family members to attend Alpha, which starts this coming week. And they all said yes. They see a difference in Tony. Tony is loving her family with the love from Jesus that she has experienced. Now, sometimes people catch me in the lobby and they tell me about something they're doing to serve their town or neighborhood. And, and, and then they go on to apologize that they're not serving in a Grace Chapel-sponsored opportunity. Do you only get credit in community engagement on a Grace Chapel initiative? No. No. Listen to some of these examples. Steve and Simone recently moved to Chelmsford. They wanted to start a life group, but they did not uh, know anybody there, any Grace Chapel folks in Chelmsford. So they, they said, well, let's just start inviting our neighbors. And, they, and the night that they invited them, they, they wondered if anyone would come. And, and that night, one person showed up, and then several more trickled in until their house had 30 neighbors inside. Steve and Simone are loving their neighbors as Jesus has loved them. This is community engagement. Sherry. Sherry has a heart for women coming out of prison. And she learned uh, how hard it is for those coming out. Each former prisoner only gets $30 and a bus ticket. So she began engaging with caring for these women by guiding them towards housing, job opportunities, and reunification unification with their families. She builds relationships with them and shares the love of Jesus with them. This is community engagement. She is fulfilling the mission of Jesus. What about you? Do you coach a team in your town? Do you teach in a school where you live? Are you on a committee in your community. What about the, your neighbors? Have you ever had a neighborhood cookout? Well, you are all on mission. You are doing community engagement. 
Community engagement is getting outside the walls of the church to serve our communities with the love of Jesus. If, if we never leave the walls of the church, we will never rub shoulders, build relationships, and love our communities as he has loved us. If Chuck Smith, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, if he had not gone outside the walls of his church to where the hippies were, the G Jesus movement might not have ever happened. If Jesus had not gotten out of the synagogue and reached out to people, well, you get the idea. Jesus' mission is now our mission. We are all on mission to love as he has loved us. Not because we have to, but because we get to. The most satisfying life is a life which is filled with love for others. And not a love that we manufacture, but a love that flows from His love. We don't want to be the Grace Chapel luxury liner, spending our time on deck debating which dessert to eat while people are drowning in the ocean all around us who don't know the love of Jesus. No, we want to be throwing them life rings and, and jumping in the water to share His love. So as we conclude, I have two questions for each of us. First, how has Jesus loved you? Have you been rescued from sadness or depression? Delivered from an addiction? Had a broken relationship restored? Been freed from guilt and shame? And second, who is he calling you and I to love? Who are the modern-day hippies that need to experience the love of Jesus? Who are the people around us that don't feel welcome here at Grace in our homes because they feel judged or invisible or blamed? The gay community, people from other faiths, the non-religious. Do, do they sense that we are more concerned about being doctrinally pure than just accepting them as they are? And if you do not yet sense where your mission is, your community engagement, you might want to consider uh, several opportunities that are coming up. Spring Serve on May 13th. This is a great way to serve uh, your community with the love of Jesus. We're going to be working with our friends, Boston Project in uh, Dorchester. Uh, you can sign up uh, right on our website. There's also an opportunity to serve our town of Lexington for those that live here by providing a fun zone for kids during their town discovery day. Last year, we served over a thousand people. I also want to give you a sneak preview to a wonderful opportunity coming this fall. We are going to begin partnering with DCF, the Department of Children and Families, and a Christian organization, a wonderful one called Fostering Hope, to come alongside to support families that are fostering kids. Now, our Wilmington campus has been sharing the love of Jesus beautifully with foster families for a couple of years now, and we're going to be building on what they are doing. If you are a fostering family 
or have interest in finding out how you might support a fostering family, please email me at richard at grace.org. Well, can you picture how this can become a movement of God? Think in two or three years with all of us spreading out to where we live and work, play and go to school and, and, and loving people as he has loved us. We fulfill the mission of Jesus when we love others as he has loved us. I've been a Christian since college days, and I've been a pastor here at Grace Chapel for 30-plus years. And I just want to say that the longer I've been a Christian, the simpler my faith has gotten. It all boils down to loving other people as I have been loved. I don't try to figure everything out. I just try to love with the love that he's loved me with. Sometimes when I think about the moment that I get to heaven and and I meet Jesus, I don't believe he's going to ask me how much I knew about the Bible, as important as that is. Or did I believe all the right things? Or, Or how many times I went to church? I believe he's going to simply ask, Richard, did you love others as I loved you? How will you answer that question? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the amazing way that you have loved us and you continue to love us. And may you take that love that we have experienced and help us to share it with those around us. And we pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen.